Hello and welcome to episode 230 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, insert Dungeons & Dragons reference here because I don't know any. But nonetheless, we will be reviewing the fantasy action comedy Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing great. You know, I feel like we've been on a real a real run for me the last couple of weeks. Not, not that you're not a John Wick fan, but I, I'm certainly more of a fan of Dungeons and Dragons than you are, at least as a intellectual property or, um, I don't know, means of experiencing storytelling. I'm not sure how you exactly want to describe it. But, you know, we've been doing one for the sicko for my kind of sicko. And then, you know, in, in April, we have a couple for you. You know, we got Bo is Afraid, which uh, test screenings. Not test screenings. That's not the right word. Uh, initial critic screenings. It seems like happened last week, and um, you know David Sims is supporting both of our both of our hopes and dreams. Is is the key takeaway from all of this? Yeah, I think Sean Finnessy also liked it. Um, uh, yeah, I've I've seen good takes on it, which which is good because I, I don't know where this narrative started, but there are people on Twitter that kept going off about like, oh, uh, A twenty four is burying this movie, and I'm like. Think they are like I've seen the trailer multiple times for this. Like this does not feel like an under the Silver Lake situation. Um, which well, they didn't even release that movie, so yeah, yeah, they they did bury that one, but um, but yeah, um, I I don't I don't think that that's happening, and now the takes are good. So I mean, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a very divisive film. Like honestly, both of his movies have been divisive, and this one people are like positive on hair. People are people not like net positive on Hereditary though. Yes, but it definitely has its detractors as well. Um, gotcha. But yeah, this definitely looks like it's going to be his most divisive and out there film yet. It's not going to be a popular film. I don't know. Of course, it, I it mean, seems again, like deranged. None of his films are, have been popular films. I would say none of them are high cinema score films. Um, <laughs> that's because they're hard. That's a that general. Way. That's a general horror movie thing, though. Like horror movies don't get high cinema scores. So yeah, that's probably true. But. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, I'm excited for it. Obviously, he's you know one of the most interesting directors right now, and sure. looks like they really let him cook on this one. But but yeah, and and <laughs> then really also did. that's coming out, and then Air also um, I <laughs> think is going to be my type of movie. It seems like it seems like it's going to be a real you know dudes in board boardrooms procedural like mm-hmm. business type movie. Uh, I mean, it has been compared to Moneyball. I've seen a couple of times. I don't know how that's going to pan out because it doesn't like have the Sorkin Zalian screenplay, for example. But, but uh, it's also not about a sport. I mean, it's really about yeah, business. It's about business. Yeah. But but I mean, you know, again, you could argue that Moneyball is like, I mean, yes, it is about a sport, but like it, it's about a lot more than that, too. And there's oh, sure. plenty of people I know that are not sports fans or baseball fans at all who love Moneyball because of everything else that's going on. But um yeah, if it even comes close to to Moneyball, then that would be a, a big success because you know that's that really is the high watermark. But sure. yeah, I'm excited for uh, for the movies a little bit more next month than I was this month. It's fair to say. Oh, you were excited for John Wick. Don't do that. Sure, sure, but again, not as much as you uh, probably. Sure. And yeah, that's fair. You know, Air and uh Bo's afraid and how to blow up a pipeline is also coming out which i'm pretty excited about I, these, are you there god are it's me more. margaret yep the, all of those are like my types of movies that are coming out so yeah and then we have one of the worst looking months i think in podcast history scott we have fast x and the little mermaid in may isn't that exciting 
Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, I think summer is going to be pretty grim, honestly, except for that July, I guess. But uh... Oh, I mean, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in June. Okay, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, Asteroid City also in June. Indy, Mission Impossible. Yeah, you know it is June, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we just got to survive May. I mean, there's going to be rough okay. weeks, no doubt. Like, we have some we have some movies that we definitely don't care about in, in, in yeah. June. Don't get me wrong, but they moved the Marvels out of, out of July for you, so it's already looking better. Great. Uh, real quick, too, on that note, I want to recommend um, a movie that I saw today, Return to Seoul. Um, this was Cambodia's submission for the um, Academy Awards last year, foreign language film. Didn't get didn't get nominated, obviously, in the in the final five. But it's just now like releasing wide. Um, really good movie. Um, definitely check it out. Just a really one of those like you know really broadening your like cinematic palette types of movies where it's about a culture and experience and person who like I would have no insight into if there was not this movie made about them. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's the kind of cinematic experience that I really look forward to. Um, and Park Ji Min, who plays the main character Freddie, is pretty tremendous in the film. Paul. Uh, our, our friend Paul yeah. talked about it a little bit on our awards episode a few weeks back. Um, I'm counting it towards 2023 because, again, I think it's kind of a petite maman situation. Um, sure. But, yeah, really great film. And if you're able to see it, I highly recommend getting out to do so. All right. Uh, well, as mentioned today, Scott, our film is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, the team behind 2018's Game Night. Dungeons and Dragons transplants the strategy and creativity of the popular role-playing game to the big screen. Chris Pine stars as Ingen, a a bard whose wife is killed as a result of his membership in the Harpers, a band of peacekeepers. Renouncing the Harpers, Ingen becomes a thief in an attempt to provide for his daughter Kira, played by Chloe Coleman, teaming up with hard-nosed barbarian Holga, played by Michelle Rodriguez, Sorcerer Simon, played by Justice Smith, and Conman Forge, played by Hugh Grant. But when the thieves attempt to recover a tablet that has the power of resurrecting the dead, Ingen and Holga are captured and imprisoned, leaving Kira behind in the custody of Forge. Two years later, the duo escape from prison, but soon discover that their old compatriot Forge has become a greedy lord and has no intention of returning Kira to her father. Realizing that his only way to reconnect with his daughter and possibly recover that resurrection tablet to bring back his wife is to pull off his most difficult heist yet, Ingen assembles a team that includes Holga, Simon, Druid Doric, played by Sophia Lillis, and Paladin Zinc, played by Regia Jean Page, and makes a plan, or several plans, rather. Scott, does Dungeons & Dragons have all the fun and ingenuity of a good campaign in the eponymous tabletop game, or can audiences create a better story and characters from the comfort of their own home instead? Yeah, you know, Scott, you're asking a difficult question because I, I probably am someone who would say that if you really wanted to make the best Dungeons & Dragons story, you could probably make a better one at home in play, playing a game uh, with your friends if you're committed to doing that type of thing. Like that is, I mean, that is sort of the beauty of Dungeons & Dragons is that you and a couple of friends can get together and make the most incredible the most incredible stories. And at the same time, you know, I, I saw this movie twice this weekend, once by myself and once with some Dungeons and Dragons friends that I have here in New York City. Both experiences were extremely enjoyable. Do I think the story was great? No, but I just think that the vibe, 
I mean, I feel like it'd be really easy to say this this film, like action comedy wise, looks a lot looks very similar to a lot of movies these days. But I would argue that the action comedy vibe is pretty much exactly what the vibe of a lot of D and D games are. So in that sense, it like it doesn't feel out of place that people are cracking jokes. I mean, I also think that it does take the time on occasion to actually let your let your emotional moments breathe, which is maybe the the crime of the worst action comedies, just not really having any sort of pause or space for emotional resonance at the same time like thought that was funny there's tons of references that deep fans of the game um and the and the can the campaign setting that it's in called the forgotten realms would get and understand at a deeper level but i also think it's it is approachable enough from a fantasy perspective where it's not like the hardest of hardcore fantasy like it, it's not as deep or as i think difficult or even onerous to get into something like lord of the rings where it really feels like there's just so much lore and history you have to be able to digest in order to fully embrace the the films. This feels like kind of like you're seeing at the box office this weekend, where it's been a, a pretty big success, getting almost forty million dollars um, over the over the weekend. It really feels like your average person can go to the film, watch it, enjoy it, and recommend it to people to go see. And I think that that's one of the real accomplishments of the movie. I was listening to the big picture talk about this, and they were talking about. I, I mean, they. <laughs> They were kind of being boomers about about D and D and how and and some of the takes on on D and D in general. I thought, but one of the things that I, I do agree with them on is that it really does feel like this is a heist movie, a heist comedy set in a fantasy setting is essentially what the film boils down to. And I think that's why it's so approachable. And I think when you combine that with solid references to embrace like the sort of like the the nerdiest of people who are going to go and see this film, like myself. It, it it really balances that well, and it gives you some really charismatic people to, I think, latch on to in the film. I thought Chris Pine was really good in the lead role. I thought Michelle Rodriguez did a pretty good job as well. And and the ensemble cast, although some to like to, to varying degrees, probably I, I didn't I really didn't mind anyone's performance um, in this. It was quite, quite enjoyable overall. And it, kind of going back to, how, you know, I was kind of trepidatious to see it again a second time the day after because I was like, oh, maybe some of the charm will wear off on the second viewing. You know, I just saw this, you know, 24 hours prior, but I really want to go see it with, with my friends. So I'm going to go do it. But I still had a great time. And I was listening to them sort of give their thoughts on the film after they had watched it. And frankly, they all thought it was really fun and enjoyable, too. So obviously, that take is going to be warped a little bit because these people play D&D, you know, some more so than others, but they pretty much all have dabbled or played D&D before. And they enjoyed it. And so, you know, your mileage may vary. And that's not like a, someone who's not uh, a D&D &D fan's perspective. But it seems like people are saying this is pretty approachable. And it feels like I get that. Like it, it is kind of that perfect mix of a film where if you're if you know, you know, and you're going to get more references. But if you don't, that's OK, too. You're going to find something that is still enjoyable, watchable and easy, easy enough to follow. And I thought it was it was a winning film all around. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, again, I joked about it, but I come it's not for this. you. It's not with much you. more of a disadvantage than you do and not knowing anything about Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, I was kind of like interested to know, like, in what way does this even adapt Dungeons and Dragons, I guess, because again, and not knowing too much about the game, like I thought that generally the idea is you create your own characters, like you create mm -hmm. your own storylines and everything. So Scott, I'm happy. Where... I'm happy to crack my knuckles and explain to you D and D. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I don't think we no, need just, to get too yeah, sweaty yeah, about kidding. it. But I was just kind of wondering, <laughs> you know, because there obviously are references for for sure. D and D people in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing there are some like 
guiding like yeah principles and stuff that sure. you know so at that, a very basic you level begin a campaign with yeah, yeah yeah so at a very basic level there's like just from from a character creation standpoint everyone when you create a character is going to pick a class and a race so your race is your is your human your elf your half elf in the case of simon's a half elf um sophia lillis is a tiefling that's your race and then your class will be like a bard a sorcerer a druid things like that and that is sort of like the the character creation front on the sort of creating a story front there are you can create your own literally you can create your own world if you wanted to and run and run a story in that world or hasbro dungeons and dragons wizards of the coast publishes campaign settings so like worlds in which you could then as a as a story creator as like a dungeon master of a game can set your story in this location and it has already created for you cities governments you know gods and a pantheon of gods things like that thanks for you to just sort of take as a foundation and, and build off of and so the forgotten realms which is the world that this is based in cities like neverwinter which is one of the major cities in the movie those are all real canonical locations in this specific campaign setting that or a specific wizards of the coast campaign setting that they've released there's other ones as well there's some very popular ones like critical role which is something that i think i've mentioned on the podcast before which i'm a fan of they have their own setting that they've created that's called exandria it's like completely different there's no overlap with what this you're talking about so there's different ones you could choose from and, and the forgotten realms is a very popular one so if you've ever heard of something that's got like called Baldur's gate that is a city i have actually that is a city in in this world um and there's other cities like that as well but neverwinter is where mostly where this is set and and so in that sense there's references and like this is it this this setting will be very familiar to almost all D, &D players and then there's like not characters like main characters of the film but like peripheral characters in the film are like canonical like villain like huge villains like Zestam who is this like lich guy who is a who is the leader of the red wizards he is like a canonical like super villain okay. essentially mm -hmm. the the dragon uh Thimber show he is a real fat dragon fat and rolls okay yeah. oh my god Scott I was I love that. That was great. You and other people in my theater certainly did. But. Yeah. I mean, luckily, neither of my experiences sounded quite like yours, but I was I was having a good time when I saw the dragon rolling. Um, so like that, like there are lots of like canonical character references yeah. in the film like that, but they're not like primary to the plot necessarily. So those are the kinds of references. There's also like types of sure. like enemies, like the enemies that you see in the maze, in the maze portion of the film. There's a there's a chest with like a, that tries to eat Holga. That's called a mimic. That's like a very common enemy. There's like intellect devourers, which they see in the underdark. There's a displacer beast in the maze, which is a very like iconic enemy. So there's just like lots of references to like sort of peripheral stuff that's that's kind of secondary to the main story. And like the red wizards are like, like you know, like I mentioned with S10, sure, that's like a real yeah. faction of, of people in the world and the Lord's Alliance, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my like, you know, nerd corner explaining the references and the connections and how to like how it all sort of ties together. Well, like I said, it was obviously resonating with people because uh, sure. fans of the game, because people were were laughing very hard. Actually, I saw that. Um, is it Matthew Mercer is the guy from? So Critical he's the Role? Yeah, yeah, he's one of the founders of Critical Role. Yeah, he he was a big fan of the movie. It sounded like from his his take. So yeah, obviously, if you're a fan of the game, it look it seems like it's going to appeal to you. Um, it seems like they got it right in the way that the 2000 film apparently got it horribly, horribly wrong. But um, I can't I can't speak from any experience there. 
Yeah, I don't think there's anyone who likes that movie, though, from what I can tell. But anyway, Scott, so, you know, I was at a disadvantage. Sure. I don't play the game. I'm generally not into fantasy type stuff, even like, you know, again, I, I'm not even into Lord of the Rings, right? Which is like the most accessible uh, of any. It's deep. It's, it's like deep lore, but fantasy. probably the most popular. Sure. Besides like yeah. Harry Potter. I'd say Lord of the Rings is less accessible than this movie, but like it is more popular than this movie. If, yeah. if that makes sense. Less yes, iconic. Yes. More, or I should say more, it's more iconic. And then you add on top of that, that this movie definitely, I do think, does follow in the recent trend of post-Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy, like, very jokey-jokey, like, mm -hmm. action comedies where, you know, sure. they're cracking-wise. And they have a lot of these, what I believe has been described as, so that happened jokes, right, where something dramatic or crazy or what or whatever will happen. And then there'll be, like, a record scratch basically and we'll mm -hmm. cut to the characters and one of them like will just say a punchline or whatever like there's a lot of those types of jokes in this movie because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on you know again there's fat dragons showing up there's people turning into giant owl bears or whatever yeah. you know she turns owl into at rock, the end. Man. um hell yeah there's a lot of that type of stuff so there's just a lot of that setup and like the sitcom execution of it so that type of stuff not for Scott Harvey. Yeah. But uh, the thing with the, and this, and just to tie in a point that I was making, I do agree that obviously there's a lot of that in this movie. The thing for me, what this has going for it that other films that do this don't is that that's just like kind of the vibe at a table playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's like kind of the same thing. Like there's just, there's an excessive number of jokes at a Dungeons and Dragons table. In my experience, everyone's game's a little bit different, but in my experience, it kind of fits the vibe. You know, sure. it, it didn't feel out of place to see it in this movie versus like, ant-man and the wasp quantum mania sure. you know like it, and that's just something yeah. yeah and obviously again that's just something i don't pick up on because i don't know the game sure. but sure yeah 100 um, yeah with that being said like i did not find it to be even close to being the worst offender of that types yeah. that type of movie like i sat through the movie i didn't want to get up and leave at any point like it was a perfectly <laughs> that's the pleasant pleasant evening at the movies um a nothing time the that i will be thinking about three or four months from now but like i didn't hate myself and i do think that for the most part you know the people involved the actors the production team actually put in a good effort right to make a film a, sure. a quality film which is something that i no longer take for granted again after some of the recent like marvel films for example like i think everyone was was really putting in their shift here i guess um Maybe someone, not someone had to, to to an effect that necessarily resonates with me. But again, um, just the the attempt um, is is admirable, in my opinion. It's um, I do think Chris Pine is great. I think he's the best part of the cast. Like the guy is a movie star. Um, he really I, is. Know, I, I feel like we've just forgotten about him. Well, yeah, because, you know, I, I guess well, Star done, Trek like, some garbage kind of, movies since Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek kind of like imploded after Star Trek Into Darkness. Like I know Star Trek Beyond like has a lot of fans, but like people don't really remember that movie. Um, and then, you know, Wonder Woman, like obviously the last Wonder Woman film was terrible and yeah. his role did him no favors whatsoever. He was in Don't Worry Darling last year, which, you know, again, quite poor. Yeah. And an Amazon um, so, movie called All the Old Knives, which apparently is very bad. He hasn't made some great choices, but this really allows him to, you know, to flex those movie star chops for sure. And, uh, you know, reminds you of why Once Upon a Time Quentin Tarantino said that he was the best young movie star, like, in 
the business. That's also because Quentin Tarantino thinks that Unstoppable is like one of the greatest films of all time. But um, that's a side point. Unstoppable is a great, great movie. But um, yeah, but yeah he's, right there. <laughs> he's a lot of fun in this. No, of course not. I would not disrespect Tony Scott. Rest in peace. Um, yeah. He also was in Hell or High Water, which is a film that is still sits atop my true. list of why have I not watched this movie yet? Yeah, I don't know why um, you haven't watched it. It's great. Maybe this is um, maybe this is the week, Scott. You never know. Yeah, do it. Pull the trigger. Send it. Um, he's great. I thought the ensemble was mostly fun. Hugh Grant, eh. Um, he's, well, I guess we'll talk about the cast a little bit more, but I don't know. Sure. He, he didn't quite do it for me as the villain as I had hoped. But yeah. um, He's like a faux villain, though. He's like maybe villain the, light. Yeah. Maybe the bar has been raised a little bit for villains in the last couple weeks because we had John Wick, which had great villains. We had... Uh, Creed three, which had like a great pseudo villain and an IRL villain now, and that. yeah, in Damien. Um, but yeah, um, maybe I was a little swirled there, but otherwise, you know, if you like the vibe that the trailer is giving off, you'll probably like the movie. And and this is one where again, I will not begrudge anyone liking this movie. Obviously, it's just one of those things where I can say it wasn't my thing, but I don't think it's a badly put together movie. Sure. I think a lot of people will enjoy it. And they're perfectly right for doing so, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it, I think it, it, it is a success. It is successful more or less at what it sets out to do. Um, it's just that what it sets out to do, like I said, not necessarily my favorite sort of thing. And then you add in the extra layer of, you know, there are some like moments of dialogue where there's just like they're spewing a lot of references and and like, you know fantasy there's a lot of exposition names. there's a lot of exposition yeah made up names point. and stuff and they're not stopping to explain them really because you know i guess they are more for the the fans um there sure. those are some of the more fan service moments i guess so that stuff does nothing for me i also think i mean look it's two hours and 15 minutes it doesn't need to be two hours and 15 minutes and the the ending action climax does go on for too long um i think that's to me the area where the most fat could have been trimmed. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are some fun sequences along the way. You know, you mentioned the um, the the scene, or we, we talked about the fat dragon scene inside, like, the dungeon-type place. Underdark, yeah. Regé Jean Page's character, which is, you know, pretty fun. Um, there's a few good sequences. I mean, it basically boils down to a heist movie, and heist movies are fun, so. Yeah, um, it is. It's yeah, a heist movie I, I made by the Game Night people, and the Game Night people are funny. Like the movie's funny. It's a heist, and the format works. Like yeah. I don't know. I just like you have a, you have good enough good enough stars in this to make it work. Yeah, yeah. I told you going in, Scott. I think that I've, this was like the type of thing I could see. It, would, it it probably tops out at four stars for me. I gave it three yeah. stars, so it wasn't the the best version of what it could have been for a neutral like me. But it doesn't doesn't necessarily need to be for a neutral like me again. So. It's like fun. I said, I think it's very approachable. Like even you, like like everything that you've said here, it's not for you, but you went and saw it and you had a good enough time. Like that's kind of where I feel like it hits, and, right? And I think that's what people, yeah, people like we and can't take that for you, granted anymore because you want to go to the movies and have a good time and you go see whatever, you know, your four Marvel movies per year. You're like, you're getting one, like you're having a good time at one of those. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you, yeah, you kind of need replacements for this stuff. Like you have to go see Top Gun Maverick. You have to go see your alt franchise. Like stuff like, yes, right. they're still franchises, but they're not. You're like what you expect to see five times a year or whatever. That's what I was going to say. You know, even if you're not yeah. a Dungeons and Dragons person, like if you enjoy like 
the Marvel stuff, if you enjoy Lord of the Rings, if you enjoy Harry Potter, you know, the the big franchises and stuff like that, you're probably going to enjoy this too because, like, it it follows sure. suit in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. But, Scott, let's talk about the cast a little bit more. It is sort of an ensemble-type film. Um, Chris yeah. Pine, you know, you'd have to point to as Edgin is the star, but you have Michelle Rodriguez. You have the whole mm-hmm. team again. Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, that's the core of the group. Reggie's on page. Yeah. yeah, he's in a couple scenes. He's in there for like one, uh, like two scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just kind of has to help them through one particular part. But um, mm-hmm. who stood out to you? Uh, I mean, obviously we talked about Pine a little bit, but what do you think overall? Yeah, yeah, it, it is Chris Pine for me. We we have talked about him already. I, I think I was joking with with one of my friends after he saw this movie yesterday for the second time. When I saw it for the second time, and it's like it's so funny because Bards are, are like actually like pretty powerful characters. Uh, in D and D, they are very versatile, and they and they have a lot of spells. Like they're mainly a spell casting class. Very funny that Chris Pine seems to seems to not really be a bard. He like his he, skill he has is loot, like call him a bard, but he has yeah, arguably not even that good at coming up with the plan. But uh, it's just kind of funny. Like he feels like he's the weakest character compared to everyone else, which is like mm-hmm. kind of funny. But he plays it so well. I mean, I, he's such an he really is enjoyable to watch in this film, and. I just want to see him have fun like this in movies. Like I haven't seen all the stuff that he's come out with since the pandemic started or whatever, but like, I mean, don't worry. Darling is just feels like a chore, like to, to make that movie. He, like, he doesn't look like he's having a good time making that film. And I'm just glad it seemed like he was having a good time making this one. Michelle Rodriguez. I feel like a, a loyal servant of, of the non MCU franchises. You know, she, she did her avatar stint. Uh, she's, been in quite a few fast movies although she was out for a couple of them one or two of them i think um now she's in this and she's like pretty good sometimes sometimes like in certain parts of the movie the best part of all those movies um at certain at different points and she's just she just feels very reliable as someone who puts in the shift i was looking her up after and i'm like she's like 44 years old she was like 23 when they made the first fast and furious movie i was like holy god um I was kind of surprised by that. I was I was expecting her to be older, but she wasn't. So it's really cool to see to see her in this. And again, like I just think she's sort of down to to do fun stuff. Like you know, she, if you if if you ask me who is it on this cast or like who's played Dungeons and Dragons, like I feel like Michelle Rodriguez might be the person who's like actually played Dungeons and Dragons for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm out of pocket saying that. Justice Maybe Smith likely, is like, probably Justice played. Smith. Well, I was played, gonna say Justice yeah, Smith might, Justice but I, I also feel like he might be that person who like really doesn't want to be associated with it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 spitballing here, but um, yeah. yeah, no, it could be. All Justice I know Smith is well. if you've seen Paper Towns, like the the Justice Smith and Austin Abrams and Nat Wolf are like the qu- prototypical Dungeons and Dragons gotcha. dudes in that yeah. movie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They so literally maybe, so maybe it is Justice they, Smith. They literally sing the Pokemon theme song at one point to like assuage well, their fears. Ironic. This that he's then in a Pokemon yeah. movie a couple years later. Yeah, that's uh, true. I never <laughs> even put that together. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I think I think Michelle Rodriguez is is a really solid sort of to the extent there is a co-lead of the film, it's it's her. And I think she's a really solid, uh, a really solid performance. Justice Smith, I I enjoy like he's he is sort of just like this really low self-esteem i think he like plays it well right I, I, it's not going to be something i remember but when i'm watching it like it's believable he performs it well and it's got i'll say this much if if i were 10 years younger than i am or like 12 to 13 years younger than if i were like 15 years old right now 
I would just have the biggest crush on Sophia Willis, I think. Like, super charming, kind of underused in the film, I'd say. But, like, when she is utilized, like, just incredibly satisfying moments. Like, I know they're just, like, aping Avengers or whatever, like, Hulk from Avengers at the end of the movie. But what they do with her character at the end of the film, not to spoil it, although I guess I kind of have half-spoiled it at that point, just reference, like, what it's referencing, is just so, so funny in my opinion. Like, it works super satisfying. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I liked the sort of core ensemble of this cast. I would say, yeah, it's Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, maybe that stand out the most. And and of that four, maybe Justice Smith the least. But I wouldn't say any of them are bad. And I think Reggie John Page is an, is an effective cameo. I, I, Scott, I know you didn't. You did not see The Gray Man, correct? Oh, Last no, year? absolutely not. Okay. Well, one of the worst performances in a movie last year is Reggie John Page and then, in that movie. And he was one of the dudes who was coming out recently and doing the, well, there are no movie stars anymore discourse, uh, which is kind of probably, funny. Yeah, so. I don't know. I don't, well, you I certainly don't wouldn't know, dude, because you're the furthest thing from it. But yeah. Well, it's so funny because he quit Bridgerton after one season because he was going to be a movie star, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it didn't work. Didn't work out for him yet. So yeah. I, I, I think this is like the first thing that I, I mean, I haven't seen Bridgerton, but this is the first thing that I have seen him in where I thought he was he was he was passable or, or good. And it, such a huge step up, Scott, from any second he was in the gray man. Uh, one of the most offensive parts of that film, in my opinion. And Hugh Grant, I shrug. Like, it feels like he was on set for like a week. Um, I feel like they shot all of the scenes really quickly and then he went on his merry way, which, you know, fair enough, I guess. I will say, speaking of Hugh Grant, because did, did you, when you watched the film, Scott, did you have the intro with the cast before the film? I did. Thank yes. you for coming to the movies. One of the okay. most cringeworthy intros to th uh, thank you for coming to the movies to see our movie in the theater thanks ever yeah. justice smith and sophia lillis don't even speak in this in this scene that's true and they Hugh grant's did only line is, is saying the name of the movie w one of the most bizarre things i just like it felt really weird like honestly maybe the best comedy bit in the movie even is is this welcome thank you for coming to see our movie in the theater like spot right before the film and um you know wow is all i have to say about that pretty crazy stuff and then i will say last point and i'll and i'll hand it over to you daisy head plays sophina who is like the the proper villain of the film i think that she's a very scary person i would not want to meet her in real life um at least the way that they made her look in this film yeah Be a believable villain is what i'll say and one last thing the cameo um uh, bradley cooper in this film didn't know that was happening and um I gagged almost when I when I saw him, and also just generally what they did with halflings um, in, in this film. Like I was expecting Hobbit, Scott is what I was expecting, and what I got was miniature human, um, which, yeah. which maybe that is the way I, what I should have expected in the way it would actually be in in D and D, but it wasn't what I was visualizing when I walked into the movie theater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say, shout out to him, though, for holding it down for the short kings out there. Like, we I mean, we, yeah, we appreciate the representation. He was a nice, wholesome yeah. character, honestly. So, sure. um, again, representing well for, for the short kings. But um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of those things. It's kind of a one joke premise, right? Like the joke is, oh, look at how big she is compared to him. And then it just kind of goes nowhere after that for me. But it was still fun to see him pop up um in the movie and you know this the yeah. surprise of seeing the cameo because i hadn't heard anything about it um 
Also, just a shout out to my Aarakocra, Jarnathan. Love Jarnathan. Yeah, that was one of the better gags in the movie, I thought, was was in the beginning with them trying yeah. to be like, you know, wait, filibuster basically for Jarnathan to, yeah. to arrive. And then he Jarnathan. ends up like helping them escape. Yeah, <laughs> the one yeah. lady is like, the woman, Jarnathan. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I also liked the payoff at the end when... yeah. You know, yeah. Hugh Grant is going to try to escape thing. the same yeah. way, and they have like boarded up the window or whatever. It's just, a, yeah, it's, it's just like, well, it's just like a brick. It's just like a brick wall now. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, and of course and we the we stand we stand a bird king, Jonathan. And the punchline in the beginning also being that you know, uh, as they're flying falling out the window, the yeah. guys like we granted your pardon. We granted your pardon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so good. So, um, all right, so that was my long winded answer to your question. No, that's good. Um, yeah, you know, again, I liked the ensemble for the most part. I did think Sophia Lillis was good, a little bit underused. You know, yeah, Justice definitely. Smith, the guy, the guy can't really catch a break. Like, he doesn't have a great part here. He like, just he, gets the worst probably, roles in all the, yeah, in every does. movie, it feels like. He does. I mean, again, I mentioned Paper Towns. Honestly, that's probably his best best role, yeah. and that was, like, one of his first movies. Um, you know, he's tried to do the franchises – um, he was in like the voyeurs with him and Sidney Sweeney, but again, he kind of got this. He was in that spotlight. Movie, wasn't he? Jesus, the spotlight was kind of stolen from him by Sidney Sweeney, definitely in that movie. But um, I mean, he's, he's in the Jurassic World movies. I mean, he's getting paid. Yeah, yeah, he's he's getting paid. So like, I mean, is he getting paid though? Do you think he's? He, do you think he's actually getting paid? He's not that famous. Uh, maybe he is, I'm but I sure. mean, this this is three like big budget movies that he's been in now. Like, well, I mean multiple Jurassic yeah. World movies, but then like the Detective Pikachu yeah. and now this, like, you know, he's still getting the parts again, even though we're saying he's not really succeeding, like he's still getting the parts. So that's that's something. Shout out to him for that. Um I mean I don't think he's doing badly yeah. in any of these movies. He's just got he's got like nothing to work with in these movies. Yeah. That's why I sort of like but, have i I'm I still feel like I'm holding judgment on him. I do think, uh, yeah, the, that Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, they're the best parts of the cast. Their chemistry is really good. And that's important because of, you know, emotionally where this movie wants you to go. Again, I do give it some points for actually trying to have some emotional substance to it. Um, yeah. Again, they, as much of a, a jokey, jokey movie as it is, like, it doesn't quite fall into the the trap that I've seen of, you know, even the emotional moments, like have to have a punchline at the end. Like, I do think there's a couple moments where they just let it. Um, yeah. You know, and D&D is like that sit. too, honestly. There's yeah. tons of jokes, but then like all of a sudden you can find yourself in a really, you know, deep personal backstory. If you've created, if you're into that kind of character creation with a personal backstory and like exploring that and it's emotional and it works. Did, did they kind of flub the end though? I gotta ask this question. Did they kind of flub the ending with the resurrection tablet? Did what do they you mess mean it up when a little you say bit? Flub. So there's yeah, I know we're skipping to the end here, but I just want to get to the meat of the story. I don't need to beat around the bush. Like what would be the most emotional moment in the film is when Michelle Rodriguez's character Holga dies in the final well, is is basically stabbed by this poisonous blade, essentially, um, in the final fight against Sophina, the Red Wizard. And it's already been set up earlier in the movie that Chris Pine's wife died in the same way and she can't because of the particular poison that's sort of imbued in the blade. You can't you can't revive them or you can't heal them. And so 
this thing that they've been that Chris Pine's character has been trying to track down the entire film to resurrect his wife. He then proceeds to use it on Holga, which is the correct choice, which is like the emotionally correct choice. It totally works. But Scott, there's like this like five second conversation that Chris Pine's character has with his daughter that sort of just like left me scratching my head after like would have been way more effective if he just takes it out and uses it as opposed to like, I don't know, should I? You know, I can only use this once. Like, I just thought that it kind of, it almost like, it wasn't, jo- it wasn't a joke. Like, it, they weren't making a joke. It just but it almost like wanted the emotional. Maybe. Yeah, it, well, no, not even trivializes. It just like, it feels like he's almost asking her to do it. But like, really, like the emotional, the emotional growth is for him to do it rather than to ask her. Mm-hmm. And it's almost sort of like, bl- like blunted it a little bit. And it kind of felt like a, a small L. It, it, it rubbed. Like I noticed it the first time, and it and it really bothered me the second time. Um, it's I think this is ultimately a small critique because I do agree with the with the overarching point that you were making. But I'm like, damn, like you cut like two lines out of that, and it's like I I, I think it's like significantly more emotionally heavy, if or effective if if you cut out those two lines. I mean, I guess it's it's maybe the idea is to play devil's advocate that the idea that mm-hmm. he's even entertaining bringing back Holga rather than mm-hmm. his wife because he has had such a single-minded quest the whole time to bring her back and even you know he mm-hmm. says at one point to who he thinks is his daughter but is actually the red wizard disguised right. as his daughter he's yeah. like oh you know i wanted to bring back my wife or whatever i didn't want to bring back your mom like your mom yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah that was like what i was trying to do so i definitely don't disagree with your overall point maybe that's the counterpoint to it that yeah, because he actually does give the choice to her. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the fact that he does give the choice. Yeah, I just think that it's so clear. It's so clearly laid out on the screen that, like, for Kira, Holga is her mom. And when he says that earlier on in the movie, like, you know, you know, 15, 20 minutes before or whatever, when he says, like, I was, I was focused, I was focused on myself bringing back my wife and not your mom, like, it just sort of like, Maybe I'm just being too perceptive of like a viewer, and I don't mean that as like some sort of weird humble brag. It's just like maybe you do need to like lead the lead the witness a little bit more in terms of the audience. But to me, it just felt like so succinctly laid out on the screen, especially with like the daughter there crying over her dead body and whatnot. Like it's so clear that like the the like personal growth is to sacrifice, you know, having a future with his dead wife for his daughter having this future with this person who she sees as her mother. It felt like it, I didn't need him to like look, look up, like make sure she was okay with it. But again, I also see what you're saying about the devil's advocate point. I just think that like, um, I don't, I just didn't need it. You know, it almost sort of like felt like it was too, yeah. being too obvious. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I, I have to admit, I mean, maybe they telegraphed it a little bit, but I didn't actually see that part of it all coming until okay. we were in the moment then gotcha. that, you know, Oh, well, they're going to use it to bring her back or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some good, you know, fridging, though, in the beginning. Always always a good uh, good technique to to give our guys sure. some motivation. But um, And we haven't talked about fridging in no. a while. I know. Uh, maybe. We're going to talk about it next week with the Super Mario Brothers, right? Because, you know, Princess Princess Peach is going to get <laughs> going to get some violence uh, against her. So we're I hope talk about it next week, I too. hope and. I hope Anya is not going to be harmed in the making of this film. But um, man, what if Bowser just walks up to Princess Peach in this movie and just rips her head off, just like dead in parts? 
I mean, it's not because it's like a G-rated movie, I think. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Would be cool. Other thoughts on this movie, Scott? You know, there's some set pieces and stuff that we kind of talked about. Sure. There's the big dragon. There's like, again, the, the mm -hmm. druid character, Sophia Lillis, transforms into all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, yeah. You know, that I will say her, her fleeing for a while. Her fleeing never went to her whatever and changing into like five different animals in the process. Although, I mean, that film, is, that, I mean, that scene is basically animated. I mean, there's there's no portion of that that's shot in live action, I'm pretty sure. But I will say uh, this is just a super inside baseball thing um, to be able to wild shape into that many different like that many different times in one day is like an end an end game, like highest of high level character like abilities. So it was like really funny to see this person you're supposed to interpret as, you know, not extremely powerful, I think, who's doing this like in game terms, like level 15 plus um, type feature where like, you know, most D&D characters are probably in the mid single digits. Like that's where your average game is played. So it was like kind of funny to see that super inside baseball. I, I thought that scene was was entertaining. The the bit around Holga's intelligence um, being low as a, as a barbarian saying that she should change into a deer and then changing it. the fact that she does change into the deer or whatever I thought was very funny. Um, you know, maybe a bit on the nose of a joke, but enjoyable. How, how about um, another one of my favorite scenes probably, which was the cemetery scene where they are yeah, the, questioning yeah, all absolutely. of these dead So I wondered if you would soldiers, like that scene or not. Did, did, I thought you, it was you funny. enjoyed that. I, I, okay. It, it's very reminiscent of it is a very Monty Python-esque scene like it, it, it is true. very reminiscent yeah, of like you know again you have in Monty Python the Holy Grail you have that the troll scene at the end when they're on the bridge and the trolls like I'm gonna ask you three questions or whatever well here yeah. in this yeah. instance the bit is that they have five questions to ask these dead soldiers Each before dead they body, go yeah. back to being dead um, yeah and it works really well in some in some cases they really blow it with the questions that they ask in other cases they just like get all the information that they need in two questions but then the the dudes are just chilling there so they have to come up with other questions to ask them or whatever it's it's a fun I, I felt like it was a funny setup and they got as much juice out of it as they probably possibly could in that one scene didn't over yeah and they didn't bring it back later on in the movie like they, they didn't reuse it yeah. later on which would, yeah exactly which they didn't overdo it yeah. yeah 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 no i enjoyed that i i definitely like that as you know that is that is a common thing that happens and like you that is a pretty common spell to use to try to get information out of out of dead people and i thought it was used very effectively the the other sort of big set pieces i mean there's the stuff at the end it's got okay i gotta say i got i got a bone to pick um not with you don't worry it's not with you um people people trying to tell me that ant-man looked better than this need to go home they need to go home stop going to the movies like this film looks significantly better than ant-man and the wasp Amanda bro, Dobbins bro. on the big picture. Amanda Dobbins on the big picture told said that Ant, this movie know. made Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania look like Ben Hur or something like that. Like, okay, well, don't listen to her. Look, I bet I guarantee you the two thousand Dungeons and Dragons looked better than Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, no comment on that. I haven't seen it, but look, I, I thought this film for the most part. There's stuff that's obviously shot on green screen. Like, it's like they're 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 in fantasy world. Yeah. It's like. The Underdark is shot on a green screen, guys. It's okay. Like, it's okay that it doesn't look perfect. And that's fine. And I can accept that. I'm not even trying to defend it. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Because that scene is super entertaining. So, like, the fact that the background looks like it's kind of painted on the screen doesn't matter. Because there's a giant freaking dragon who's, like, huge at a chunk 
rolling down a hill, like toppling over and like, uh, you know, you know, killing these undead soldiers. Like it's really, it's a fun scene. And that's like, that's the problem with, with these Marvel movies that have bad CGI is that not only do they have bad CGI, but they're not entertaining. They suck as movies. And, and so like you're and, not distracted well, from it. And the, and the environments all look the same too. I mean, the environments are different yeah. in these movies, whereas Marvel, it's the same gray landscape sure. wherever they are. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, it, they have chosen their aesthetic and they are running with it. Yeah. I just, I just think that, um, I thought the effects were ultimately pretty good. Like, I think that the monsters, like the dragon, the displacer beast, like the panther-like creature in the maze, like, I thought that those genuinely looked really good. Um, you know, maybe I'm on one. I don't know. But I thought that, that the CG was pretty good in those respects. And then there was the occasional green screen that didn't look great. But, like, uh, overall, I thought it was above average what we'd expect for CGI at this point, honestly, for, like, your average blockbuster film. Um, and, yeah, I really liked the Underdark sequence. Like, getting to see Zank fight, you know, these guys or whatever who who you can't kill and then start to walk away and then have this huge dragon come out. Like, I thought that was entertaining. I, I agree that the ending sequence goes on a little too long, but we hadn't really gotten that much of like a true like team up combat, which I know is very like Marvel. I know that these these like attributes sound like a Marvel, like a Marvel fight, but I kind of just felt like what they did with it here was more entertaining because I think the difference between here is like, okay, sure. Some of these people are like, quote unquote, superheroes like this guy can do magic. This guy can you know this is a barbarian who has like a ton of strength, but it just feels like much more. Like, I don't know, like it doesn't feel like everything is just so formulaic and like going through the motions as much as some of those other movies. And maybe that's just because, you know, there's so many tiresome elements of superhero films at this point, And this feels just like just fresh enough to be different. But like the whole like hand hand to hand showdown between Justice Smith's character and and Sophina at the end of so I'm like, I, I thought that was entertaining. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. It kind of felt like uh, not the exact same, but it felt like fresh, like the the Doctor Strange music note scene or whatever, uh, the Multiverse of Madness music note scene that's, that, that Sam Raimi, you know, cooked up in Multiverse of Madness. Like, it just, like, felt fresh enough to not feel, like, so samey to be different. How did you feel about, Scott, the moment when he, like, projects, Justice Smith, like, projects, like, a holographic, mm -hmm. I guess, version of... Uh, oh, yeah, of the... the, the, the It's called a major... A song or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's but called like people, a, a major illusion. Yeah. People in my theater were screaming, laughing. No, I, at, like, I, I enjoyed it. With that bit. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but there's no need to be screaming laughing about that. It was not... I, I it was it was good, but no one no one in my theater was screaming about that. Yeah, it's it was like it was we laughed a normal amount, extra. a normal and yeah. understandable amount of laughter happened, but nothing excessive. That and when the owl bear comes in and just you know messes her up at the end, those were the two parts that like yeah. people are crazy for. But yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just like the the false ending or whatever, where they're like, oh, we're you know they they defeat we're away. Grant. We're we're yeah. No jokes. Actually, we have to go back because I made this deal. We got to give the money. To, uh, we got to give the, the treasure back to the, the character growth. That's why town, we have to go back. So. We got to have character growth. Look, I, I get it. I was just like, oh, no, now we're going to have another 15 minutes of this movie. But... I mean, you could have gone to the bathroom and I don't know, bought some some children's books on Amazon like Amanda Dobbins did missing missing the Bradley Cooper cameo. Oh, one Amanda. of the funniest one of the funniest things that I've heard on a podcast in a while.
<laughs> Amanda, I know you're listening. It's okay to sit them out sometimes. Like it really is. I don't think. I, I think your job is safe. I don't think Bill Simmons is going to fire yeah. you. Just because we could get C- CR could have been on the Dungeons and Dragons pod. Yeah, even Joanna could be on there. It's not like I was going to listen to it anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, oh, Scott. On that note, that a, I think that was we a tough one to wrap up for this <laughs> sure. film. Uh, we'll see why not the final cut. But um, your favorite? I'll, scene I'll leave it in. Moment. I'll leave it in if you want me to. Sure. Your favorite scene or moment from this film? Yeah, favorite scene or moment? Gosh, I really. Sh- I mean, I've seen this movie twice. I probably should be able to answer this question. Do you have one instantly firing from the hip? I hadn't thought about this. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned a couple of mine. Again, I liked the cemetery scene. I thought that was a funny bit. You know, I think the dragon dungeon scene is pretty good. Um, yeah. And the beginning, the Jarnathan stuff. Those are kind of my yeah, favorite. I was probably going to go with Jarnathan. Yeah. Yeah, do it. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a huge ex- – we know, you know, podcast lore is that I'm not super into voiceover and, and narration in the film. I think it works in D&D, and Chris Pine – is good at it, I guess, is what I'll say. I don't know. He makes he makes <laughs> it work well. He has this very um, I mean, as a as a, his character is a bard, so I guess it makes sense. But he has a very melodious rhythm to his storytelling um, that I thought that I found quite um quite endearing and quite effective. And yeah, I mean, I think Jonathan is going to be some is going to be some iconic stuff in uh in my D and D games at this point. So, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I can see that being a, a good bit there. Uh, all right, Scott, let's put a score on it. Out of 10, Dungeons & Dragons, what do you give it? I had a great time. I, I did spend, I will acknowledge that I spent a, a fair bit of time there critiquing a very small point about the emotional ending of the movie. But overall, I had a really good time with this film. I'd absolutely recommend people go see it. It is an enjoyable way to spend a night out at the movies. I think Jay is going to go see it, actually, um, sometime this week, Scott, which I'm a little bit surprised by. Uh, that he's going to go see it, but he's seen it early this week, which, you know, he's not really a D&D guy. I think he's played D&D once, like when he was much younger, but um, I think that the good word of mouth is spreading, and I'm part of that. I'm giving it a flat 8.0. Yeah, again, you should put absolutely no stock in my review whatsoever because I'm in the minority of even less stock than you normally do. I, I know you don't put any stock in my reviews normally, probably, but even less than that. Um Anyway, uh, I uh, I give it a six point two. Um, it's just okay. it's not go. my sort of thing. But all things considered, it could have been a lot worse. And I think sure. a lot of people will enjoy it. And like I said, I think they're perfectly within their right to yeah. enjoy it. And, and I could be wrong, Scott. I will say this before we go to break. I think people who actually listen to the full review might be surprised that you gave the film a six point two. I think I feel like I heard more positivity than a six point two from you. I'm not saying you need to change your score. Live your truth. I know it's not your thing. But uh, you yeah. were you were quite well, positive on the film for giving it a six point two. Yeah, I, I think I I was just trying to go out of my way to praise it instead of being the usual sure. sourpuss that I am about yeah. these sort of like things. I I hate yeah. I hate swords and sorcery. This shit's stupid. Overall, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Overall, I was definitely you know yeah. ready for the movie to keep moving. Sure, uh, I'll put it that way. But, sure. Um, but in conclusion, put Chris Pine in more things. That is definitely my main takeaway from this movie. Is, uh, he's a delight. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right, Scott. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we do have a couple of news items. Uh, we're going to talk about Heat 2, the movie. Is it happening? Is it possibly happening? Um, the action we're is We're going to talk juice. about some potential 
casting news for that. Also, something else that, you know, you may be surprised is happening. Clint Eastwood is going to be directing his last film, possibly, maybe. Uh, we'll see. But we're going to talk some about that as well in the news section. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, we do have a couple of news items as I teased before the break to hit before we conclude. Um, I want to start out by acknowledging that Clint Eastwood, of course, a Hollywood legend, uh, multiple time Oscar winner, um, director and actor behind many, many films. And he's directed probably 40 films at this point um, and, uh, you know, was continuing to go strong. Uh, his last film being uh, Cry Macho a couple of years ago. Um, and yep. now it has been announced that at 92 years old, he is 92 years old. Um, he is at work on his, uh, his, his potential last film, his likely last film. I don't know if it's his last film because he doesn't want to make any more films or because they think there's no he way has a terminal cancer diagnosis survive like yeah. to make another film. That question we do not have the answer to. Um, well, he and Tarantino but, can bond over their la making their last movies near each other. Yeah. Uh, but the name of the movie, Scott, that he is working on is called Juror Number Two. Um, and the setup for so. the movie, it is that uh, it is about a juror uh, in a murder trial who realizes that maybe he is the person who caused the victim's death um, and has to decide <laughs> whether he wants oh, wow. to, you know, uh, fess up or try to manipulate the jury um really weird setup for a movie first of all i don't know uh, yeah. how this i'll be interested to see how this person even get, gets on the jury in the first place um seems like there would be a little bit of a conflict of interest there but um but anyway um that is is uh interesting also it's interesting scott because you know cry macho very much felt like like a swan song type of film right like he starred in the film it's a very sort of, you know, tender movie about like an old guy, you know, coming to terms with his life at, you know, in its final stages and whatnot. That could have easily been his last film or whatnot. Again, you, you, you know, you could have seen that as like his swan song, like his Irishman or something mm -hmm. like that. But um, well, Irishman is not a swan song, though. No, I know. I know it's not. But it's that it is that type of film as yeah. well. But um, right, right, right. But instead, he's coming back with what just seems like kind of a, you know, pot boiler type movie, you know, like a, a you know, straightforward sort of crime thriller almost. Um, it's in, if that's the way he wants to go out, then, you know, more power to him. But um, but yeah, um, I, I don't I don't know about that. Um, of course, I'm always down for legal drama type stuff, but uh, I would be interested to see how he pulls off uh, this this setup. Um, you know, we've heard that he has begun production on this movie. I saw people joking. That means like in two weeks we will hear, oh, this movie has completed filming <laughs> because he's <laughs> notorious for like, he doesn't do any additional takes. Yeah. It's just, you know, he, he, he delivers camera, he films under budget. We're on to the yeah. next scene. Um, but Hey, I haven't disliked any of his recent 
directorial films. I didn't see the 1517 to Paris, but yeah, the uh, Mule, a, a pretty and, widely considered to be an atrocious film, right? Yeah. yeah, The Mule and um, Richard Jewell and yeah. Cry Macho were yeah. all to varying degrees solid films. Um, so he's still churning them out, he's still doing a, a solid yeah. job. I have faith in him to put out one more good one, uh, even at 92 years old. Any will he Scott? will he feature in a small role in juror number two where he has a threesome? Yes or no? I hope not. Maybe he'll play the judge. That'd be interesting. I can't imagine Clint Eastwood judging a trial, though. That's a pretty horrifying mental image. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Scott? <laughs> Uh, not not too many. I think that you're you. I, I don't know. I don't mean to re revise history, but I genuinely just don't remember what I what I really thought about any of those three movies that you just said. Um, I think I I enjoyed Richard Jewell. Uh, I think I thought Cry Macho and The Mule were were fine. Like three, three and a half star movies. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, yeah. just your meat and your meat and potatoes type, which I guess Definitely. at this point is what he's good for. And I don't mean that in like a demeaning way at all. Like, you know, I think some filmmakers would kill for three straight movies that were three and a half star films. Um, solid stuff. So, yeah, I mean, why not? I like I kind of like that. It's not this. I don't know. Western vibe. like he's done like the journalistic thriller, which is kind of the Richard Jewell angle. Um, and I know that that journal number two sounds like it might bump up a little bit tangential tangentially to that because it's, you know, it is the whole like legal system side of things which is kind of what richard jewel was about as well um for better or for worse yeah for better or for worse and i'm i'm kind of happy that he's not doing a cry macho or the mule type where it's like a grizzled old guy i'm kind of like it sounds like he's not going to be in the movie and what i'm saying is i think that's a good thing yeah no i i agree i think it does sound like that and uh yeah it's probably best if he's he's not not that he's a bad actor but again 92 uh, just, years old yeah he can uh, move on yeah, he can, can sit in the director's chair the or the director's wheelchair, whatever he's doing. These days. You can hang up the laces, Clint. Um, yeah. All right, Scott. Speaking of uh, meat and potatoes or something that is probably a little bit uh, sure. fancier than meat and potatoes, maybe like, a, yeah. you know, a, a porterhouse. And, yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Uh, I don't know what the <laughs> fanciest version of a potato you can get is, but um, Michael Mann. Au gratin? Heat. I don't know. Is au gratin yeah. potatoes the fanciest? I don't know. Michael Mann's Heat, of course, all-time great crime film uh, from the 90s starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Um, last year, a book sequel, which Mann had, was ostensibly the author of, uh, or that he worked on with somebody mm -hmm. else, mm -hmm. um, came out, and apparently the film version is already in the works um, of this film that Mann is planning to direct. Right now, of course, we know that his Ferrari biopic is probably going to be coming out this year starring Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari. But, um, Indeed. you know, another director who is, who is not necessarily at a sprightly age, I believe he's in his late seventies. Um, but he is, you know, hard at work on what you would expect would be an, another epic, uh, you know, yeah. crime film and, and certainly an event film in the year that it is released. Scott, tell us more about, you know, this an film. event film for us, at least I'll say yeah, that for, for the film bros. You know, tell us more about the film and in particular, who is in talks to star in this film? Sure. You know, I've not yet read Heat 2. I, I have been interested in reading the book since it was released uh, last not listening August. listening to it? <laughs> What'd you say? Not listening to the audiobook? 
I have not listened to the audiobook. Um, do you do you know why I'm joking about that? Oh, oh, because, oh yeah, no, I yeah, know yeah. all about yeah, the guy yeah, who no, reads the audiobook. Yeah, he liked that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I've heard all about that. I've listened to the audio samples that are out there of, of the. If you audio don't know book. what we're talking about, just, just, just look, it, look up. it up. Yeah, yeah, just look it up. Um, you know, Scott, I, I had contemplated getting the audiobook because, like, oh, I am interested in reading this, but like, realistically, I don't. I go through like fits and starts with reading books, and it depends a lot on how busy work is and and other things going on. But you know, recently, last six to eight months, I haven't been reading books, and so I was like, okay, maybe I'll get the audiobook like right before it came out and then it came out and even before like it started to get passed around i like listened to the audio sample and i was like there's just no way in hell that i could listen to this for 10 hours or whatever however long the audiobook is it may be even longer than that um i just like couldn't do it so i i don't i'm not intimately familiar with the plot details but i do know that at least the book is structured as both a sequel and a prequel to the original story the original film back from the 90s like you mentioned so it is both a prequel to what happens with, um, you know, Robert De Niro and um, Val Kilmer's characters, and of course uh, Al Pacino's character as well, um, in in the in the original story, and also a sequel. You know, not I guess well, we I can spoil uh, the ending of Heat for people, but of course Robert De Niro's character does not make it out uh, alive, but Chris Shaherlis, who is uh, who is Val Kilmer's character, does make it out alive, and so. There's definitely hanging threads. Al Pacino's character is still out there also. So so there's lots of characters still out there to develop both from a prequel and a sequel perspective. And we do have some casting news. It appears that Al Pacino has agreed to return for the sequel. I'm not sure in what capacity because, frankly, Scott, he's old as shit now. I don't know how he could play the sequel version of this character unless he's yeah. significantly de-aged. Apparently, um, because like from what I understand, this the the book takes it's place immediately like, after. Yeah. Immediately, it's after immediately after. Film, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is like literally like weeks after the film and months before the film. I think they're it's just going to de-age him. Obviously, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess that is what they're going to do, unless he has like a small role. The guy's eighty-two, Scott. I, I, he cannot I play this. Serious. There's no, no way I know. they're actually going to. You that. say that's you say that Scott, but you they might <laughs> they might man man is a sicko. Um, he, they might do it. You never know. So th I think it's just, um, I think it's just hard, um, to imagine like, unless he's just like a glorified cameo in this film as like some other person, like they're probably going to de-age him. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Like his, his character, Vincent Hanna, who's the LAPD officer in the film, um, is still going to be hunting down Chris Shaherlis. He's played by Val Kilmer. We don't really know who's playing who, but Al Pacino is, is rumored to be returning in sort of new to the film, we we have heard that Adam Driver is going to be joining the cast. So obviously Michael Mann and Adam Driver are getting to be, um, you know, having a pretty good working relationship. Scott, I would assume that he would be playing De Niro's younger version of De Niro's That's character. That's kind of what I think as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I think is great casting, frankly. I, I kind of feel like Adam Driver's got the juice on that one. Um, and then sort of compliment or what I assume would be to compliment that role. We have Austin Butler, obviously of Elvis fame, but shortly for Fader Alpha fame. Uh, Doom Part Two Hive out there, rise up! And he's he's going to be he he is rumored to be cast in the film. Can again, like I said, can only assume that he's the younger version of Christian Hurlis or Val Kilmer's character in the film. Which again, I think that's pretty good casting. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then the most recent news, Scott. This all happened a little while ago. I think a few weeks back at this point. But most recently, there is a female lead for this film. The character's name is Elisa. I haven't. I don't know who she is 
um, in the story because, I, again, I'm not familiar with the plot of Heat 2. But she is the female lead, and that is going to be played, apparently, by Ana de Armas, who seems to be a very, very busy woman right now. No, no, no value judgment on that. She has quite a few films coming out, it seems like. So she's staying busy. Scott, do you like these casting announcements? Like, do you feel like they're getting they're getting it right? I mean, Al Pacino aside here, do you feel like they're getting it right with Driver, Butler, and Ana de Armas? Of course, Scott. I mean, those are three awesome choices. Um, you know, especially I think Austin Butler, like, honestly, seems perfect for that role of, of Val Kilmer. Like, uh, you know, even before he was ever, you know, rumored, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people were like, this was kind of like their fan casting, like their dream casting for that yeah. role. Um, Chris Hurlis with uh, Elvis voice that we're going to get. Yeah. 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 I think Adam Driver can definitely do like the you know all business like yeah yeah, intensity of of neil mccauley um and yeah ana de armas like you know she she's had a rough go of it like we've talked about but we have seen when she gets in the right role she can definitely cook um i don't know exactly what this role is going to be to your point but um but yeah i'm definitely i I like the sound of it um i'm just interested to see like what the story is going to be like you know i I guess i should read the book at some point but um just because you know the 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 number one draw of that first movie is like that psychological battle between Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley. Yeah. And now Neil is out of the picture. Like, how can you capture that again in a film? Um, I don't know if you know Vincent Hanna going after Christian Hurtless or like Austin Butler is going to have quite the same epic feel to it that uh you know the the first film does but you know maybe they don't need to try to recreate that again it's that movie's such a classic maybe they should just go in a new direction but um you know heat is not necessarily the type of movie where you look at and be like oh yeah well they're gonna make a sequel for that at some point so i think a lot of people were surprised first when the book was announced and then you mm-hmm. know when the film is announced and the fact that man is is going to be involved with it um but if you know, I, yeah. I feel like we've said this about stuff before. If they're going to do it, if they're going to make it, they have all the right people attached. It seems so. You know, in man we trust at this point. Yeah. So the films, the films chronology. So obviously, the first film was set in 1995, which is when the first film came out. But the chronology of the film is it takes place in 1988, 1995, 1996, and 2000. So there's a little bit more diversity in in the timeline of the film than maybe I had expected. Um, and it goes a little bit further back from before the first film. But that's sort of the time period of the film. And it's told non-linearly, which maybe isn't a surprise. It starts, the film starts, or the book starts right after the ending of the first of the first story. So it starts there. And then I think it jumps around a little bit from there. So, you know, interesting. I, I'm definitely going to read this read this book before the film comes out. Yeah, I probably will try to as well. I mean, I, I need to, like, again, the original Heat one of my all-time favorite films so um there's really no reason i haven't no no excuse for not having read it yet so i will get to it at some point good deal all right scott well i think that'll do it for this episode of something like it's got any parting thoughts or anything you want to leave us with uh guys be open-minded about D &D. if you're interested in uh exploring a new side of yourself you know i wasn't into D D even three years ago and you know in the last few years i've gotten uh, into it and i think it's a really great outlet one of the ways that i've met new people in new york city as well and actually made some pretty good friends so cool things always worth a try D is rock D is pretty cool 
who wants to meet new people? I mean, come on. That's just who wants to do that? I know. Isn't that um, crazy? New York's hottest club is D&D. Uh, no. Hex and Co. I'm yeah. Kidding. The game store. The tabletop game store. You're absolutely right. There you go. Now you know where you can, you can find Scott during the weeks. He has mm-hmm. doxed himself. Yeah. Elon Musk accidentally doxing myself. <laughs> There you go. Um, all right. Well, you can find uh, me at Scarvy Dent on all social media platforms, including uh, not Twitter Blue. Sorry, Elon. But uh, Scott, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter, also unverified, not not shilling out a thousand a month for the check mark uh, at Shelton at S Shelton two zero one three over there, and you know Letterbox. It's you know more more relevant Letterbox serialized, et cetera. Yes, of course. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pods. Even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be reviewing the Ben Affleck-directed biographical drama, Air. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.